It's on page 785 in the plain book. So starting at Acts 17, verse 13. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Peter was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now what, now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands and is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but other ones said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the whatever that word is, <laughs> um, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Our friends, let's bow in prayer. 
Our Father in heaven, uh, we thank and praise you for this uh, time uh, together now when we can uh, be freed from the distractions of uh, other aspects of life and focus on your word. Father, we pray that by your word and your spirit, you'd be teaching and changing us, that we would be people who uh, uh, seek to find opportunities to uh, talk to others about the Lord Jesus in a way that is helpful and, uh, and encouraging to them. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A few weeks ago, I was at the beach and uh, there was this guy who was walking past and I said hello to him. He said hello back to me and he was up for a chat. So we started having a little bit of a conversation and before long, he was lamenting to me. He was lamenting the fact that as he said that uh, he thinks that uh, people these days just don't uh, know each other and just don't care for each other as much as they used to. Do you think that's right, folks? Yeah, there, there may be some truth in that. Uh, but I also saw in that uh, maybe an opportunity to uh, speak to him about the Lord Jesus. Now, of course, uh, sharing the gospel with someone, a stranger that you just find walking along the beach, uh, is a little bit different to sharing the gospel uh, with people in church, isn't it? Uh, people who uh, already have a, a belief in God, people who already have a, a belief in, in, the, in the scriptures. Uh, it's different, isn't it? Because the starting point is not exactly the same. Um, instead, we might want to think about uh, that other person's life. We might want to think about... Um, what are the uh, issues that uh, they have? What are their concerns? Uh, what are their values? Uh, what are their needs? And find a point where the gospel kind of intersects, where the gospel connects uh, which that, with that point in their lives. And so what was that man expressing? Um, wistful nostalgia, perhaps? Uh, yeah, certainly a little bit of that. But what about the desire for relationships, the desire for connection with other people? And how might we turn uh, that conversation around from just lamenting with him and having a mutual gripe session about how bad society is uh, to actually uh, pointing him to the Lord Jesus? Uh, I don't think we would start with the scriptures would we we wouldn't start by trying to explain to him how the christ had to die had to suffer and rise again um, like paul did uh, as we saw a couple of weeks ago when he evangelized inside a synagogue in thessalonica but what about outside the synagogue um, how did paul evangelize people who didn't know God, who didn't uh, know the scriptures and who in fact may have been idol worshippers. Uh, what would be his starting point? Well, in our passage today, that was the situation. If you open up your Bibles at Acts uh, chapter 17, uh, where we've been uh, reading about how it was that Paul and his companions took the gospel uh, into Europe and uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, he was in Thessalonica, in uh, Macedonia, and then in Berea. 
And uh, in our passage today, we found that Paul, uh, we find that Paul has found himself now uh, in one of the most influential cities uh, of the ancient world. Now, Athens. Um, we still call Athens the cradle of civilization, don't, of, of, of democracy, don't we? It's the cradle of democracy. And in Paul's day, it was also the, uh, the cultural and the intellectual hub of the world. Now, we have cities uh, nowadays that are cultural hubs. We have, even have cities that are intellectual hubs, don't we? Um, cities like Oxford, for example, where uh, people uh, go there and study uh, the, the, the great philosophers. Uh, well, that's actually nothing. Because in Athens, they didn't get to just study the great philosophers. They got to hear the great philosophers. Socrates, um, Plato, Aristotle. Uh, these were men who had all taught in Athens, although before Paul's time. But this is where Paul is at. Here's Paul, a travelling Jew, um, preaching the gospel of Jesus, and now in Athens. And he found that he had some time on his hands as he waited for his co-workers, Silas and Timothy, uh, to join him from Berea. Now, when I'm uh, in a new city and I've got time to kill, uh, I usually walk the streets uh, just to kind of get a bit of a feel for the place. And the feeling that Paul got was not great because not only uh, was Athens a, a hub for philosophy, it was also a hub for idolatry. Now, uh, Greeks uh, didn't just believe in, in one god. Uh, they believed in, in many gods, a, a pantheon. Uh, they believed in, in, in families of gods, whole families of gods, like uh, Zeus and his family, Poseidon and, and Athena, uh, who actually the city is named after. And walking the streets, rather than being impressed by the, um, by the architectural wonders, uh, like the Acropolis, for example, in verse 16, uh, Paul was not impressed, he was distressed. Distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And so in this marketplace of ideas and of religions, Paul went to the actual marketplace. And he just stood there and he just preached the gospel to anyone who happened to be passing by, to anyone who would bother to listen. How did that go? Let's pick it up, shall we, at verse 18. Uh, Paul in the marketplace, preaching. And a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Now, I think it's helpful for us to uh, just to pause and to, and to feel the significance of this. Paul is not just preaching to ordinary people. These are Greek philosophers. 
that he's preaching to. And they've got no idea what he's talking about. They don't have the foggiest. In fact, what do they call him? Do you see what they called him there? They called him a babbler. A babbler. What do you think of when you think of someone who babbles? They go on and on and on, don't they, about nothing. Well, the, the actual Greek word here for babbler actually comes from, it describes a bird uh, pecking at seeds on the ground. And it came to refer to someone who's got no original ideas. Uh, they just pick, a, pick an idea from here and they just pick an idea from there and they just put it together and regurgitate. What are they calling Paul? Is They're saying that Paul is a B-grade speaker. Just a, a, a person who pecks at other people's ideas. And a B-grade speaker who is also promoting some foreign gods. It may be that they thought that he was promoting one god called Jesus and another god called resurrection. Now, uh, in Athens in the first century, the city council had oversight of religion, and uh, particularly when there was uh, uh, new religions that were being introduced. And so in verses 19 through to 22, these philosophers, they took Paul to an informal meeting of the city council, uh, not to whip him, and to imprison him, like it happened in Thessalonica, in other, in other places, not to whip and to uh, imprison him, but rather to actually listen to him. That's a nice change, isn't it? What a great change that would have been for Paul. But you see, that's what Athenians love to do, uh, to be entertained by any new and strange ideas. Now, the city council was called the Areopagus, uh, which means, um, uh, Pagus means hill, um, and Aris uh, is one of their gods. It's the hill of their god, Aris. Uh, the Romans didn't call him Aris, they called him Mars. Uh, sounds a bit like the planet, uh, doesn't it? There may be a reason for that. And so the council was called the Are the council was called the Areopagus uh, because it met on or it met near uh, this hill, which was the hill of Aris, Mars Hill. And so, how did Paul reach this council, the the Areopagus? What are the points of connection? Can I get you to have a look at verse twenty-two? Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. To an unknown God. How about that? I mean, the, the, the place is chock-a-block full of, of altars to all sorts of hundreds of gods. But they don't want to get off, offside with any god that they might have missed. 
And so they, they build this altar to an unknown God. It's sort of a spiritual insurance policy. You don't want to offend some God that missed out. You know, it's like when you're giving thanks at a wedding, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> at, a, at, a, at a wedding banquet and you're thanking everyone who's been involved and you forget that one person who did something for you. This is an insurance policy which is spiritual. An altar to an unknown God. And it's also a great point of connection. So how does Paul handle this? Well, he kind of says to them, look, ancient, are you, are you anxious that there may be an unknown God? Well, I've got some good news for you. I am about to make him known. Now, um, back in verse 18, remember there were two types of philosophers that were in Paul's audience at the marketplace. Um, some of them were called Epicureans and the others were called Stoics. Uh, these were, in fact, the two most popular philosophies in Athens at the time. Now, what did they believe? Well, the Epicureans would have made good Australians because you know what they lived for? They lived for the pursuit of pleasure. <laughs> Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And, you know, there's some... Something, one thing which gets in the way of the pursuit of pleasure is gods. And especially if those gods want to get too involved in your life and particularly if they make threats of judgment. That kind of gets in the way of our pleasure seeking, doesn't it? And so they, these Epicureans, uh, they believe in the gods but in their philosophy they reckoned that the gods were detached. The gods were kind of out there somewhere. That The gods were not particularly interested in our lives and getting involved too, in much, too much with us. And, and also the Epicureans, therefore, they were, they were critical of people building temples and building altars to these gods because it, it brings these gods a bit too close to home. And they were critical of be, people being too concerned about um, these gods actually being the ones who supply our needs so that we need to actually pay attention to them. And for Paul, that's a point of connection. Uh, check out verse 24. Who is this unknown God? Well, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. The Epicureans would have been saying, yep, you're right there, Paul. You're right there, spot on. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. See, the Epicureans listening in would have been hooked. You don't need temples. Great. But you do need him, oh, for all of the pleasures that you seek. Um, the other philosophers were the Stoics. And the Stoics, uh, they believed that the human race was one and that we all um, have one common point of origin, a single point of origin. And so that sounds actually pretty good in some senses, but they would have made 
uh, in our context, they would have made good New Age people. Um, because the, the Stoics, they, they tried to live in harmony with the, with the natural order. Uh, the natural order, which they said was, was permeated by a, a divine principle, um, which they called the Logos. And so Paul continues about this unknown God, verse 26. From one man he made every nation of men. Stokes uh, would have said great to that. That they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. Uh, so, you know, kind of being in tune with this force. God did so that men would seek after him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. I mean, wow. And far from being a babbler, you know, a second-hand peddler of second-hand ideas, what Paul is doing here is that he shows that that, that he, does, he does more than just understand their philosophies. He understands their philosophies, but it, there's more than that. He also finds in their philosophies the points of connection with God's truth. Um, you say that we all originate from one source. Well, you're right. From one man comes every nation. You say there, there is a divine principle which permeates the world and in which we need to live in harmony, the Logos. Well, you, you kind of sort of ride on the right track. But uh, it's not just a principle, it's a person. And he is actually separate from the world, but he controls the world. And he's near to us, he wants us all to reach out to him. This is, this is like Genesis chapter 1. But instead of quoting the scriptures, uh, which would mean nothing to these Athenian philosophers, Paul finds another connection in their own poets. In him we live and move and have our being. Now this is uh, possibly, most, most probably, uh, this is a quotation from a 6th uh, century BC poem which was uh, written about the god Zeus. And Paul also quotes another one. Uh, quote, he says, we are his offspring. And this is definitely from a 3rd century BC poem about Zeus. And since we are humans, and since we humans rather, are God's offspring, in verse 29, uh, Paul says that it's foolishness to think, therefore, of God as being anything less than us if we are his offspring. It's foolishness to think of uh, God as being an object, as an idol that's been made by us, uh, made out of gold and silver or stone. That just doesn't make sense. And so Paul used their own poets to persuade them, to persuade them of what we know from the scriptures, that our very existence 
is owed to God. The God they did not know, but their ignorance is about to end. Verse 30. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Now, um, Paul has just proclaimed that all people are created uh, in order to have a personal relationship with, with God. And, and yet, for these Athenians, with, with their pantheon of gods, with their city that's just chock-a-block full of idols, um, with their great philosophers, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, the Stoics and the Epicureans, with all of that in the cultural and intellectual capital of the world, they are still ignorant. You see, because our relationship with God is broken by our sin, although we can know about God um, by observing the world, observing the creation, by soaking in uh, the world around us, we can only know God personally uh, if he reveals himself to us. Without that revelation from God, we can know about God, but we cannot know him personally. And we're ignorant unless he reveals himself to us, which he does in his word and in the person of his son. The Athenians were ignorant of God. But what does Paul mean uh, in verse 30 when he says that in the past God overlooked such ignorance? What does that mean? Uh, does that mean that um, you know, all of the sins that have been committed in the past in Athens that uh, you know, are now exempt from judgment? No, um, it's not that. Uh, what it does mean is that the judgment has not happened yet, but it's coming. In fact, in verse 31, the date has already been set. God has appointed a day when he will judge. And Paul can now reveal that God has appointed a particular man, one man to be the judge of the whole world. How can that be? What sort of a person would that be? And why should they believe it? Well, the reason they should believe it in verse 31 is because God has raised this man from the dead. Now, friends, this is a, um, another big point of contact uh, you see, um, although Greeks uh, believed in the immortality of the soul, um, another thing which they believed was that the body uh, was, um, uh, was, was not a part of that, that the body was, uh, was, uh, was, was, was evil, that the body uh, was, was earthy. 
And so in, for Greeks, uh, this led to a couple of different ways of thinking about how we live our lives uh, because they had this, this uh, negative view of, of, of human flesh some of them uh, would actually um, uh, do what they could to, um, uh, to inflict pain on the flesh uh, as a way of kind of trying to purify it. Others would say, well, it doesn't matter. You can live your life however you wanted to. You can sexual immorality and so on. It doesn't matter because, you know, the body is just the body. It's the spirit that really matters. And so talk of bodily resurrection, of the body being important like that, uh, that's, a, that's a contact point. And this is a contact point uh, which would actually cause um, offence to their beliefs. And you see this in verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead... Some of them sneered at him, but others said, well, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that point, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. See that? They sneered at him, this babbler of resurrection. But not everyone did. And notice that Paul has not actually explained the gospel, has he? Um, in fact, he hasn't even mentioned the name of Jesus. But he has said enough for some. He said enough for some to arouse their curiosity that they may want to hear more. And he's done that by finding the gospel connections to the Epicureans, to the Stoics, uh, the connection to an unknown God who can be known in the man who's been raised from the dead and will one day judge the world. And it seems that um, Paul did get a chance to speak to some of them again because uh, there, as we read, this man uh, by the name of Dionysius, who was a, a member of the ruling council, he wasn't a member of the Areopagus, uh, so an influential man. There was a lady uh, who's named as Damaris. Uh, she too would have been influential. And there were some others who became the first um, Greek um, Christians, the first Athenian Christians. And so this is a bit of a model for us. Now, we don't tend to meet too many philosophers in our daily lives, do we? Um, <clears throat> but when we share Jesus in our uh, non-churched culture, we need to be thinking um, carefully. We need to understand our culture. We need to uh, understand the, the issues that um, are being discussed in public debate, uh, we need to uh, think about the issues that people were thinking about, the issues that affect their lives. And um, whilst the temptation sometimes is to become cultural warriors to try to fight people um, against their philosophies and, and the way that they think, uh, it seems to me that um, 
rather than doing that, rather than trying to oppose people, that we need to find uh, the connections uh, which can turn a conversation uh, around to Jesus. Think about some of those issues. Uh, for example, you know, people, for, for many people, the environment is very important and caring for the environment. And we, can, you know, we can argue against them, some people do, but uh, well, actually, we believe um, that God is the creator, that there's a reason why we value the creation so much because it comes from him. Um, the, the treatment of women is a really big topic um, in our culture uh, here in Australia. Um, just over these past uh, six months or so in particular, and of course for a lot longer than that. How do we respond to that? Well, we actually believe um, in people being created in God's image and of being in, of intrinsic value and worth and so these are the sorts of comments that we can be adding to conversations on these topics to turn the topic away from the culture wars and to a topic that might actually help people think about the Lord Jesus Christ. COVID-19, lots of talk about that. We're not in control of life. That's the point of connection, isn't it? We are vulnerable. We are vulnerable. Or the man lamenting that on the beach that people just don't care for each other as much as they used to. You know, I sometimes come up with the better comments after the conversation's completely finished <laughs> and the person's disappeared. But on that occasion, I said to the man, well, um, yeah, I'm a Christian. And as a Christian, I find that there's some really good um, relationships and a lot of care uh, that takes place in the church that I belong to, with people knowing each other and caring for one another. And he said to me, uh, you know what, it's interesting that you say that you're a Christian <laughs> and you didn't just say that you belong to a particular denomination or a particular religion. And he said to me, you know, I've met some people who you know, call themselves Christians, who tell me that they fear God. And he said, no one should fear God. Why should you fear God? And we were at the beach. It was actually at Crescent Head. It's lovely up there. And I said, well, you know, when I look around at this beautiful scenery here, that, you know, the ocean the, and the sand, the sun, it's, it's beautiful, isn't it? And, and I reckon that the one who made this, well, he's a lot bigger than me. <laughs> he's awesome. And the fellow says to me, yeah, I suppose when you think about it that way, like, you know, maybe if you do the wrong thing, you should fear him. I said, yeah. <laughs> and, and we all do the wrong thing, don't we? I, so I, I do lots of things that are wrong, but I don't actually fear him. And the reason I don't fear him is because I know that he loves me. And I know he loves me because he actually sent his son Jesus to come and die on a cross to pay the penalty for all the really wrong things that I've done. Now, I'd, uh, we had a really nice conversation 
and it was a very warm conversation. And I'd love to uh, be able to tell you that uh, he turned to the Lord right there and then <laughs> on the beach at Crescent Head. Um, but I think it's more in the category of a seed planted, perhaps. I could have lamented with him and said, yeah, I know what you mean. You know, people just don't love and care for each other anymore. Society's gone downhill and it's not like the olden days and, you know, but like Paul, let's, let's actually find the connections. Let's see if we can find the connections with topics, with issues, with people's lives so that we can actually tell them about the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the one who uh, is the judge of all, uh, the one who you've given proof of that by raising him from the dead. And we thank you, Father God, that uh, the God who would otherwise be unknown is now uh, fully disclosed, uh, that we can know you through uh, your revelation to us in your Son, the Lord Jesus, for his death on the cross for our sins, for his being raised from the grave. And Father, we want to pray for our world. We want to pray for um, our nation. We want to pray for our town and our families and our friends. There's so many people who are living in ignorance of you, who are trying to find some uh, meaning by worshipping uh, things which are transient, which are um, just the things of this world, things which disappear and things of no lasting value. And we pray for ourselves that um, we would be always thinking about them and their lives and what's important to them. And Father, you'd open up opportunities for us to, to touch on those points where the culture, where the gospel is a tangent to the culture, um, that we might be able to speak to people about Jesus and the great hope and the meaning, the fulfilment that can be found in him who is the truth. Amen.